And just about a month in, we are back to war once again as Biden bombs Syria. So we'll talk a bit about what happened there, why the bombs fell, and what this means going forward. In other news, Capitol Police come out and say that the militia groups from January 6th are set to recreate the scenes from Designated Survivor for the State of the Union. So we'll talk a bit about that. Mr. Potato Head is no longer going to be Mr. Potato Head. It's not going to be much of a change, but enough that you're going to take notice and enough that the Associated Press had to tell you about it, so we'll talk a bit about that. And McConnell does his turtle thing and proves that he's not really out there for the American people or the people of Kentucky. He's just out there for power. Plus, if you have a message that you want to put into the live chat, we will look at the live chat today and throughout the week here and thank everybody who chatted throughout the week. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Microphones help. Good morning, everybody. Ladies, gentlemen, non-binaries, people who don't quite know, people who do know but don't want to tell you. My name is Jay Edgar. We have got a bunch of stuff to get to, including the predictions that the neolibs were going to do neolib things and take us right back into war. So we've got a bunch of that to talk about here. But before we get started, make sure you go and check out my friends over on the Freedom Scoop Media Group. Pardon our dust. The Freedom Scoop webpage is still under construction. But while we are waiting, you can still go and check out my great friends, The Generational Gap, who will be hosting my lovely co-hostess Elaine tonight on the, uh, their program. They're going to be talking about paranormal experiences, and apparently John is staying in some sort of haunted hotel. I asked him to ask the ghosts what the airspeed velocity is of an unladen swallow. We will see if they answer that question, because that really is the most important question. So go and check them out. You can also check out the Daily Ignoramus, who he's getting ready to start streaming. Once again, now that he's in his new home, you can check out the Breakdown with Birkenhoff, the R-Rated Conservative, the Freckles and Brit Show, and more. So head on over there. Bookmark our page. Get ready to pick up our swag and help us support great creators. And there is Friday's Dow chart, by the way, and it just dumped off through the entire day because nobody knows what's happening now with the stimulus. That's one thing that we need to sit back and watch. The Treasury yields look like they had uh, some problems coming out through the day, so that's going to be affecting things. But yeah, it just kind of dumped off, and this the Dow was the best out of the three. I looked at the NASDAQ yesterday and the S&P, and they're, they both dropped even harder than this, so... Are we looking at a sell-off because nobody knows what's happening with the stimulus? Are we looking at a sell-off because they knew they were going to have to go after Syria? We don't know. We can talk to the investors and see what they have to say. Let me get the live chat up here for you guys so you guys can see. Let's see what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin had a pretty hard sell-off yesterday, too. They dropped from 51000 U.S. dollars down to 46544 U.S. dollars and 30 U.S. cents. Uh, a couple things going on with that, and of course, the one thing to always keep in mind with the cryptocurrency, especially with something new that's something that's not been around for a while, is people looked at this and said, well, I made my money. I'm just going to sell it off now, and I'm going to be rich for a while. 
Because unfortunately, you can't use the Bitcoin to go off and pay most of your bills. So the best thing you can do is go back and sell it off and go pay your student loans or your mortgage or whatever else it is that you're trying to do with it. But hey, there are going to be people that are going to hold it. There are going to be people that are going to make their money off it. We will see what happens. All right, reading from IBD. Special offer, four weeks for $29.95. No. <clears throat> Dow Jones futures market rally breaks support as Treasury yields soar. NVIDIA, Teladoc, Tesla Flash, sell signals. From Ed Carson. Dow Jones futures were little changed Friday morning, along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures. The stock market rally suffered heavy losses Thursday as 10-year Treasury yields continued to soar. This time, the NASDAQ did not rally off lows, closing below key support. NVIDIA and Teladoc Health joined stocks round-tripping sizable gains. While Tesla plunged further below its 10-week line, investors should be playing defense, especially with tech stocks, for those waiting to see how big winners held up at the end of the week. Some key sell or hold decisions are coming. Meanwhile, GameStock came well off its intraday high. GME stock rose 19% to 108.73 after doubling on Wednesday, but it came way off its intraday high of 184.68. AMC Entertainment and Express, two other squeeze plays that left Thursday morning, closed down. GME stock rose solidly Friday morning in active trade. Zscaler, Etsy, Salesforce.com, Autodesk, Far, Fetch, Airbnb, and DoorDash headlined a slew of earnings reports after the close. Etsy, Zscaler, Salesforce, Autodesk, and Farfetch topped earning news. Airbnb and DoorDash reported huge quarterly losses in their first quarterly reports since their late 2020 IPOs, but beat on revenue. Etsy stock jumped Friday's pre-market. More than offsetting Thursday's 5.5% drop, Zscaler stock climbed, recouping most of its 5.8% loss on Thursday. Salesforce stock retreated overnight on weak guidance after CRM closed down 3.9%. Farfetch stock also fell in extended trade, extending a 4.15% trade uh, Thursday slide. ADSK stock declined overnight after a 5% slump. Airbnb stock climbed modestly before the opening after tumbling 9.1% on Thursday. Oof, that had to hurt. Dash stock sold off closing with a 5.4% decline. DraftKings reported blowout revenue growth and raised 2021 guidance. DraftKings stock rose modestly early Friday. With as many people as walked away from national sports this year, I'm actually a little bit surprised DraftKings is doing so well. I guess the people who are still consuming the sports, are really, really into it and want to go out and make the bets. So that's the only thing I can see. But yeah, I'm, so many people walked away from NFL, MLB, fantasy football entirely. And I know other people whose names will not be mentioned on this show, <clears throat> Matt Christensen, who swore up and down that they were going to give up football this season because of the woke stuff and then admitted on their programs, if they do have programs because they're not being named, <clears throat> Matt Christensen, that they did watch football throughout. So, investors have been less forgiving of earnings results in the current market climate, even when profits and guidance appear strong. NVIDIA stock tumbled 8.2% Thursday following uh, earnings. Teladoc, Innovative Industrial Properties, Progeny, NetApp, and Nobacure all suffered double-digit losses. 
Tesla and NVIDIA are on the IBD leaderboard. CRM stock is on IBD long-term leaders. Tesla and Etsy stock are on the IBD 50. On the futures, Dow futures fell a quarter percent versus fair value. S&P futures edged higher. NASDAQ 100 futures rose 0.2%. Futures traded up and down all morning, though the moves weren't especially large. The 10-year Treasury yield fell a few basis points early Friday, spiking Thursday. The Bitcoin price, which topped 58000 last Sunday, was nearly 52000 on Thursday, traded below 47000 Friday morning after nearly undercutting 44000 Remember, overnight action in Dow Futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. All right, on to CNBC to see what they have to say about this whole thing. Dow falls 560 points amid surging yields. NASDAQ sheds 3.5% in the worst sell-off since October. From Yoon Lee and Pippa Stevens. U.S. stocks fell sharply Thursday as an outsized surge in bond yields spooked investors who rushed to dump risk assets, especially high-flying technology names. The Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 559.85 points, or 1.8% to 31.402, slipping from a record high. The S&P 500 lost 2.5% to 3829.34, its worst day since January 27th, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite slid 3.5% to 1319.43, posting its biggest sell-off since October 28th. Oof. That one had to hurt just a little bit. Alphabet, Facebook, and Apple fell more than 3%, while Tesla dropped 8.1%. Microsoft shed 2%. Well... Bill Gates is going to get you your vaccine anyway, no matter how much they sell off. The major averages tumbled in a rapid fashion as the 10-year Treasury yield soared high as 1.6% in a sudden move that some described as a flash spike. The yield later settled back down to around 1.52%, its highest level since February 2020. It is all about bond yields today, said Ryan Dietrich, chief market strategist for LPL Financial. There was a spike flash in the 10-year yield, and that upset the apple cart. As higher yields are spooking the stock market, could there be more inflation coming than what most think? Although the Fed isn't worried about that, the market might be. The jump also put the benchmark rate above the S&P 500's dividend yield, meaning that equities, which are considered riskier assets, rather, have lost their premium over bonds. The milestone could exacerbate the move out of stocks as they become less attractive. Higher rates tend to hit the technology sector especially hard, as the group relies on easy borrowing for superior growth. The tech-heavy Nasdaq has dropped 5.4% this week on pace for its second weekly loss in a row. Consumer discretionary and Infotech are the two biggest losers among the 11 S&P 500 sectors, falling 5.4% and 4.5% respectively. So, the borrowing and the way that people go out and expand their businesses once they see a boom, that's going to start getting higher. That's what's causing the sell-off off of these, because people are looking at this and saying, well, I can't really make all my money back at this point. So, we'll see what happens off of this, and possibly, like I said, the big news of the day may buoy some of the stuff up, or at least buoy Raytheon up so we can see what happens from that. Alright, let's get into the big news of the day! From Reuters, to start out, U.S. airstrikes in Syria target Iranian-backed militia Pentagon from Idris Ali and Phil Stewart. 
The U.S. carried out airstrikes authorized by President Biden against facilities belonging to Iranian-backed militia in eastern Syria on Thursday in response to rocket attacks against U.S. targets in Iraq, the Pentagon said. The strikes appeared limited in scope, potentially lowering the risk of escalation. It was not immediately clear what damage was caused. Syria did not immediately comment, but state-owned Ekbaria TV said the strikes were conducted at dawn against several targets near the Syrian-Iraqi border. An Iraqi militia official, speaking out on condition of anonymity, said at least one fighter had been killed and four others were wounded. A medical source at the hospital in the area and several local sources told Reuters 17 people have been killed. That toll could not be independently confirmed. Biden's decision to strike only Syria and not in Iraq at least for now, gives Iraq's government some breathing room as it investigates a February 15th attack that wounded Americans. At President Joe Biden's directions, U.S. military forces earlier this evening conducted airstrikes against infrastructure utilized by Iranian-backed militant groups in eastern Syria, Pentagon spokesman John Kirby said in a statement. President Biden will uh, act to protect Americans and coalition personnel. At the uh, same time, we have acted in a deliberate manner that aims to de-escalate the overall situation in both eastern Syria and Iraq. He said the strikes uh, destroyed multiple facilities at the border control point used by Iranian-backed militant groups including Kataib Hezbollah and Kataib Saeed al-Shahuda. After the strikes, the Iranian and Syrian foreign ministers spoke and underlined the need of the West to adhere to UN Security Council resolutions regarding Syria, Iranian government website Dolat IR said. A U.S. official, speaking on condition of anonymity, said the decision to carry out the strikes was meant as a signal that Washington wanted to punish the militias, but did not want the uh, situation to spiral into a bigger conflict. The official said Biden was presented with a range of options, and one of the more limited responses was chosen. Michael McCowell, the top Republican on the House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee, said the strikes remind Iran, its proxies, and our adversaries around the world that attacks on U.S. interests will not be tolerated. Suzanne Maloney of the Brookings Institution think tank declared the strikes as a good move on Twitter, saying that they showed the Biden administration could both negotiate with Iran and the nuclear deal and push back against the militias that Tehran backed. The rocket attack on U.S. positions in Iraq were carried out as Washington and Tehran seek a way to return to the 2015 nuclear deal abandoned by former U.S. President Donald Trump. It was not clear how or whether the strike might affect U.S. efforts to coax Iran back into negotiation about both sides returning, or resuming rather, compliance with the agreement. In the February 15th attack, rockets hit the U.S. military base, <coughs> excuse me, housed at Erbil International Airport in the Kurdish-run region, killing one non-American contractor and wounding a number of American contractors and a U.S. service member. Another salvo struck a base hosting U.S. forces, North of Baghdad, days later, hurting at least one contractor. Rockets on Monday hit Baghdad's Green Zone, which houses the U.S. Embassy and other diplomatic missions. The Kataib Hezbollah group, one of the main Iran-aligned militia groups, denied any role in the rocket attacks. Some Western and Iraqi officials say the attacks often claimed by little-known groups are being carried out by militants with links to Kataib Hezbollah as a way for Iranian allies to harass U.S. forces without being held accountable.
So there is a lot to unpack with this one here. And honestly, the initial re reaction on Twitter, I don't think it was completely warranted, but definitely something to look back and hold the Biden administration to account to. Now, Biden himself came out and said that make, uh, bombing like this was irresponsible and that coming in as president, that he would not be doing the same or making the same mistakes that the Trump administration did. And yep, that was his first choice when he was presented with a range of options was to drop the bombs out there. So that's one thing to pay attention to with this. But there's a lot more to dig into this and see where this is going to go and what this is going to do. Given the fact that he's negotiating with Iran right now to try and get back into the nuclear deal, a lot of this may be an extended big stick to come back and say, well, you're going to do what I tell you to, or I'm going to kill your people. Because he has no trouble coming out and dropping the bombs. But there was big backlash off to this. And honestly, looking at something like this, I know what happened. Raytheon decided that they needed to give another big batch of money to Biden, the Clintons, McConnell, and Dan Crenshaw. But it just, it amazes me all the heat that Trump took for doing this exact same thing under his presidency. This was a minor strike. I don't agree with the fact that there was a strike there, but this was a minor strike in retaliation to the wounding and killing of American people. But it also seals the fact that we are going to be in that region forever and never, ever, ever going to get out because there's too much money to be made in this. I have one here, a tweet from Cenk Uyghur. So, Joe Biden bombs Syria and kills them in minimum wage hike, confirming every fear progressives had. Soon they'll renege on getting the $1,200 checks to everyone in the middle class by limiting who gets it to appease to their donors. The establishment is back, and it absolutely sucks. Google it! Which I uh, quote tweeted back to him, and I'm probably not going to see it if we go back and look at what the quote tweets were. But we'll see if we can. See if mine pops up off on the top. No, mine's not going to. Yep, there he is. He uh, he already reneged on the $2,000 checks. Because remember, now it's down to 1400 So, that's what we're seeing off that. In other news, speaking of military action and stuff that's going to happen, possibly coming forward here, from CNN, Capitol Police Chief warns militia groups want to blow up the Capitol when Biden addresses Congress. From Zachary Cohen and Marshall Cohen and Whitney Wilde. Acting U.S. Capitol Police Chief Yoganda Pittman warned Thursday that militia groups involved in the January 6th insurrection want to blow up the Capitol and kill as many members as possible when President Joe Biden addresses Congress. Pressed by House lawmakers to provide a timeline for removing the razor wire fencing and other enhanced security measures installed after the U.S. Capitol attack, Pittman said law enforcement remains concerned about threats by unknown uh, militia groups with a direct nexus to the State of the Union address. We know that members of the militia groups were present on January 6th have stated their desires that they want to blow up the Capitol and kill as many members as possible with a direct nexus to the State of the Union, which we know 
that date has not been identified, she told House lawmakers during Thursday's hearing on security failures related to January 6th. We know that the insurrectionists that attacked the Capitol weren't only interested in attacking members of Congress and officers, she added. They wanted to send a symbolic message to the nation as to who is in charge of that legislative process. Pittman's comments mark one of the first times law enforcement officials have publicly cited specific threats against the Capitol and lawmakers related to Biden's expect, uh, expected address before a joint session of Congress. While presidents typically do not deliver an official State of the Union address in the opening months of their first term, the Biden administration is considering an address to a joint session of Congress later this year, though a specific date has not been identified. Which means that the razor wire fencing can stay up there forever. And ever. And ever. Pittman declined to elaborate on a timetable for removing the fencing and sending National Guard troops that remain in Washington back to their home states, despite bipartisan calls to reduce the security posture around the U.S. Capitol. We have no intention of keeping the National Guard soldiers or that fencing any longer than what is actually needed. We're actively working with scaled-down approach so that we can make sure that we address these primary three variables, Pittman said on Thursday. One is the known threat to the environment, two is the infrastructure vulnerabilities, and then that third variable being the limitations the U.S. Capitol Police knows that it has as it relates to human capital and technology resources, she added. Later in the hearing, Pittman said fencing around the Capitol is not permanent, an idea she has previously proposed. The temporary infrastructure is only to address the vulnerabilities after the attack of January 6th. Our priority is to make sure that members of Congress are safe and that the democratic process is protected. Once we have an appropriate infrastructure and human assets in place, we will lean forward with the removal of the fencing, she said. Now, going back up to the top and what they were talking about with this, and I said this at the top of the show, Capitol Police Chief warns militia groups want to blow up the Capitol when Biden addresses Congress. Now, I don't know if this sounds familiar to any of you, but... Uh, as a person who prefers TV series to movies, much to the chagrin of my co-hostess, I recognize the statement up here because that is the plot of ABC and then later Netflix's award-winning series, Designated Survivor. Which makes us wonder, who is going to be the head, uh, the director of housing and urban development once something like this happens? And it also leads me to wonder, is this just an excuse to keep the fencing up for as long as possible? Or, is there actually an attack sitting out there? And I'm leaning on the former rather than the latter because, uh, yeah. I don't see any of these people going out and doing anything like this, but hey, you know what? They've got the intel in Washington, D.C. They've got all the fancy government stuff here and you know, hoping and praying that nobody notices this this weird coincidence that this seems exactly like an ABC TV series. I've got one here. Uh, Trisha Flanagan tweets out, and she is a representative from New Jersey. The president is constitutionally mandated to give a State of the Union address, which has been January-February since 1934 by the invitation of the Speaker of the House. 
This year's State of the Union has been listed as to be determined. Can we get an update from Speaker Pelosi? Asking on behalf of the Constitution. And then she goes on. The President has a constitutional mandate to give a State of the Union address, Article 2, Section 3. He shall from time to time give to the Congress information of the State of the Union. Been January, February since 1934. Why the scheduling delay? Why aren't you concerned? And I want to unpack a couple of things with this because this is actually not true. And for those of you in New Jersey, I'm sorry I have to poke holes in your Republican uh, Congresswoman because, yeah, she's wrong. So, yes, according to the Constitution, you are correct. The President is to give a State of the Union. I'm sorry, the President is to advise the Congress of the State of the Union from time to time. There's no date set, nothing in the Constitution. And also, there's nothing in the Constitution that says it has to be a long, long-winded pageantry speech like all the presidents from my lifetime have enjoyed. George Washington, if I remember correctly, and this may be apocryphal, rather, or this may actually be true, but if I remember correctly... George Washington gave his uh, State of the Union addresses, at least his first one, on the back of an envelope. Now, mind you, it was a brand new nation and there wasn't a whole hell of a lot going on at the time, but... No, there is no need whatsoever to have the president go up there and give the speech. Now, with that being said, because I'm actually going to have to give a little bit of inconsistency on this one because I said during the Trump administration that we don't need to have all the pageantry we don't need to do this long speech with guests and tear-jerking people sitting up in the audience and the ceremony and the tearing of the sheets of paper and all that kind of stuff we don't need to do any of that I said that during all of the Trump states of the Union and all of the Obama states of the Union too I said all of that. But God damn it, I really, really, really want to sit here and see Joe Biden stumble through a State of the Union address and then have people come back out. I want to see him stumble through an hour and a half speech and then have people come back and still try to say that he's not in cognitive decline. Oh my God, I want to watch that. I want to watch that. That's That would be amazing. I want to see what kind of stupid shit that he says when he's up there for an hour and a half. Could he challenge Rand Paul to a push-up contest or a fist fight? We don't know with that dude. But no, as far as this goes, I'm not concerned. Not at all. And there is no constitutional mandate for this. And I'm not a triggered fucking liberal either. All right, let's keep going. From CBS, Senate parliamentarian rules, Democrats cannot include minimum wage hike in COVID-19 economic relief bill. From Carolyn Linton and Grace Seekers. 
The Senate parliamentarian ruled Thursday that Democrats cannot include the $15 an hour minimum wage hike in the COVID-19 economic relief package. It's a major setback for Democrats such as Independent Senator, who is not a Democrat, Bernie Sanders, who argued that it could be included even in the budget reconciliation process. But President Biden told CBS Evening News anchor Norm uh, O'Donnell earlier this month that he thinks that uh, pudding cups come out there and make his hairy legs stand up. No, I'm sorry, that's what he probably said on the first four takes. That he didn't think the minimum wage hike would ultimately be included. The hike is not going to occur because of the rules of the U.S. Senate, Mr. Biden said. I put it in, but I don't think it's going to survive, he added. Instead, the president said he's prepared to work on a standalone $15 an hour minimum wage proposal. That won't pass the filibuster. Congressional Democrats opted to use the procedural maneuver known as uh, budget reconciliation to pass the bill, allowing it to be approved with only a simple majority in the Senate. Most legislation requires 60 votes in the Senate to advance, so the budget reconciliation process allows Democrats who hold a 50-seat majority to pass the bill without any Republican votes. There are strict rules for utilizing the budget reconciliation process, such as the Byrd Rule, which requires that all provisions in the bill be budget-related and must not increase the federal deficit after a 10-year budget window. Parliamentarian Elizabeth McDonough ruled that the minimum wage hike did not fit the parameters for budget reconciliation. Some Democrats had already expressed the opposition to including a $15 an hour minimum wage provision in the relief bill. Senator Joe Manchin told reporters this week that he believed a $15 an hour minimum wage by 2025 was too high and would be damaging to more rural states like his own West Virginia. 11 is the right place to be, Manchin told reporters on Monday. Throwing $15 out there right now just makes it very difficult in rural America. If the parliamentarian allowed for the minimum wage to be included, it's not clear that Democrats would have been able to muster the votes to pass it as is. The Senate can waive the parliamentarian uh, ruling, which requires a simple majority, which would include Kamala Harris getting on board at this one. In a statement, Sanders said that he strongly disagrees with tonight's decision by the Senate parliamentarian and the fact that we have no more uh, pudding cups in, in, in the Senate, okay? However, he said that he would push to move forward with an amendment punishing corporations that don't provide a $15 an hour minimum wage and providing incentives for small businesses to increase their wages. In the coming days, is that a Sanders? Yes. In the coming days, I will be working with my colleagues in the Senate to move forward with an amendment to take tax deductions away from large, profitable corporations. The... the Billionaires, but not the millionaires, because I, I am a millionaire now, and I, I don't want any increased taxes on myself. Only only the evil, evil billionaires and the millionaires that, that don't donate to me, that don't pay workers at least $15 an hour, and to provide small businesses with the incentives that they need to raise wages. That amendment must be included in, in this reconciliation bill, he said. Senate Majority Leader Chuck you Schumer, said he is deeply disappointed in the decision. We are not going to give up the fight to raise the minimum wage to $15 to help millions of struggling American workers and their families, he said, without providing specifics. The American people deserve it, and we're committed to making it a reality. GOB Senator 
Lindsey Graham, on the other hand, applauded the ruling, tweeting that he's very pleased that the Senate parliamentarian has ruled that the minimum wage increase is an inappropriate policy change in reconciliation. This decision reinforces reconciliation cannot be used as a vehicle to pass major legislative changes by either party on a simple majority vote, Graham added. This decision will, over time, reinforce the traditions of the Senate. So, and, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. Quest has been tweeting out about this incessantly. I know you guys see him in the chat. Uh, go follow him on Twitter. It's Quest Fanning over there. Because he has a lot of good information off of this. But, in all honesty, and I knew this wasn't going to go. I knew this shit wasn't going to fly. And I don't think that the Biden administration is really in that big of a hurry to make this happen in the first place because it's going to affect the way that they do things. And it's going to affect the money coming in. Biden, or at least his handlers, know that his administration economically right now is kind of fucked based on the actions that happened over the last year due to COVID. And if he plays his cards right, he can push us back into the Trump economy that we had before COVID and then go back and claim credit for it because the mainstream media is going to run cover for him. But jacking the minimum wage at this point is not going to be the way to do it. And he knows that, or at least some one of his handlers knows that. The $15 thing, that was a way to get progressives on board. And, you know, I said that out to somebody else, too, when other people were commenting on the fact that we weren't getting the checks, we weren't getting the $15 an hour minimum wage, we weren't getting the Medicare for All or any of that bullshit. And I, you know, I commented back to the dude. I'm like, they used you for your vote. You understand that, right? They promised you the moon on a fucking stick, and they weren't going to do any of it. And now they've got cinema and mansion that they can use as boogeymen. So you still think that Kamala Harris and Joe Biden are pure as the driven snow. So that's what we're seeing from that. Uh, I got a couple tweets. This is a really Twitter-heavy episode, by the way. Uh, I got a tweet here following up on that here. I've got Charles P. Pierce tweets out. And he's got a blue check, but I have no idea. Why? Because I have no idea who the dude is. I'd like to inform Senators Manchin and Cinema that this is on them because they wanted to keep the filibuster. Which, once again, going back to this, I mean, the reason that they threw the $15 an hour minimum wage into the COVID relief bill is because they were blowing their wad as hard as they could on the uh, budget reconciliation for that. They knew that the $15 an hour thing was a poison pill. So they were trying to sneak it in with the uh, with the stimulus package that they got bucket, uh, budget reconciliation for. Just kind of slide that in there and hope that nobody notices and nobody talks about it. So then they can pass it with a simple majority because, really, if they had if they changed the filibuster, if they'd have got rid of that, they would have brought Cinnamon Mansion back on board somehow and got this passed with a simple majority, fifty one votes. But now, because they've only got two, maybe three, depending on how the rules shake out, 
budget reconciliations, and we talked a bit about that because they didn't have a budget for 2020. Because they've got maybe three budget reconciliations at this point, they're going to try and stuff as much pork and as many pet projects into the budget reconciliation bills as they can because they can only do it technically once a year. But the rules are hazy right now because they didn't do a 2020 budget, whether or not they can do it uh, twice this year or not. So a lot of things to look at, a lot of things to see here, but Mansion and Cinema are going to be the boogeyman. Also, as prefaced by one Lieutenant Sulu, George Takai himself, was he Lieutenant? I don't even know. I never watched the original series. I actually don't know what rank Sulu held. How ironic. That should the GOP filibuster the Equality Act, it will be Kirsten Cinema, the first openly bisexual person ever elected to the U.S. Senate, oh my, whose baffling support for the filibuster actually prevents the bill from ever becoming law. History is watching, Senator. Oh my. And that goes along with this article from Politico. Historic LGBTQ rights bill passes after exposing GOP divisions. From Olivia Beavers and Melanie Zanona. The House passed sweeping legislation on Thursday to ban discrimination against people based on sexual orientation and gender identity, delivering a major victory to the LGBTQ community while exposing an ugly rift in the GOP. The Equality Act, which would amend the 1964 Civil Rights Act to provide protections for the LGBTQ community, uh, individuals, rather, garnered unanimous support from House Democrats on its way to approval on a 224 to 206 vote. Three Republicans crossed party lines to join Democrats to endorse the bill. Less than half the member uh, number of the GOP votes the measure got the last time it came to the floor. But some Republicans worry that this week's Controversial antics from Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, who harassed Representative Marie Newman over her transgender daughter, have stomped on their attempts to sensitively communicate why they are opposed to the LGBTQ rights bill. Most Republicans say they oppose the measure due to the perceived infringement on religious freedom, not under discriminatory sentiment towards LGBTQ people, a fine line that Greene has effectively erased. Yep, they're going to try and keep that woman in the news as long as they can. The Green-Newman incident has revived a thorny issue for the GOP, which has wrestled over its stance on gay marriage and battled accusation that it's not inclusive or protective of LGBTQ rights. Just uh, last year, the former representative, Denver Riggleman, was censured by his state party for officiating a same-sex marriage. He wound up losing his primary race. Why? Why would you do that? He's free to do what he wants to do as a private citizen and associate with who he wants to. If the Virginia GOP wants to censure him for that, that's just fucking petty. Now, if he was going down onto the floor and voting on something transgender related that didn't represent the interests of the Virginia people, that's a different thing altogether, because at that capacity, he's representing the people of his district in Virginia. But for what he does on his free fucking time, no. Fuck you. That's wrong. If he wants to officiate a same-sex wedding on his free time, on his own time, that's on him. 
Representative Dan Crenshaw, who's hosting a transgender person on his podcast next week to discuss military issues, said it's pretty damn important for the GOP to clearly articulate why they oppose this particular bill. There's definitely a wrong way to message everything he added. And as far as the Equality Act goes, I mean, really, honestly, I know that there are religious people out there that don't want to get on board with what's going on with the with the gay and transgender agenda. I, I understand that. But those people should be allowed to do so. And then the free market will let the people choose whether they want to support the business or let it fail, let it fade into oblivion. And the transgender people don't have to go to these businesses either. But this is this is another instance of bake the fucking cake, bigot. That's all that we see. I have no problem. If I've always said, I really don't care who you fuck or how you pee. I don't. The problem I have was with the federal government coming down and trying to mandate this out from the top. And I don't understand why they feel the need to do this either way. If there are any laws whatsoever that have to be passed because of this, they should be done at a state and a local level. Mostly a local level. Because what's best for Madison is not going to be the same as what's best for the tiny little rural town that I live in, whose name I'm not going to divulge because it's so tiny and rural. And you'd probably be able to find me. And I like you guys, and I wouldn't mind if you guys found me, but there are other weird people that watch this program, and they're usually over on Twitch, that I'd prefer that they don't find me, at least not right away. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. A little bit of lingering cold here hanging up in my throat. Give me just a sec. All right, let's uh, keep going here. Let's talk a little bit more about what Marjorie Taylor Greene did. Marjorie Taylor Greene posts anti-transgender sign across hall from lawmaker with transgender child. From Chandelis Duster. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene is facing sharp criticism after she posted an anti-transgender sign outside of her office directly across from uh, the hall rather, from another lawmaker who has a transgender child. The antagonizing move by Green comes as House is expected to pass the Equality Act, a bill that would ban discrimination against LGBTQ Americans, later Thursday after the Georgia Republicans' attempt to block the act failed on Wednesday. It also follows a string of incendiary statements and actions by the freshman Georgia congresswoman who was removed from her committee assignments earlier this month after a violent past comments were unearthed. Well, she's in her office. She has to be there for the votes, but she really has nothing else to do at this point, so you made her bored, and now she's doing stupid shit. Illinois Rep. Marie Newman, whose daughter is transgender, posted a video on Twitter of her hanging the pink and blue transgender pride flag rather, outside her office window Wednesday afternoon. Captioning that Green tried to block the act because she believes that prohibiting discrimination against trans Americans is disgusting, immoral, and evil, adding that 
uh, thought we'd put up our transgender flag so she can look at it every time she opens her door with winking and transgender flag emojis. That evening, Green retweeted Newman's post and added a video of her hanging a sign that says, or reads, There are two genders, male and female, trust the science. You guys thought the reality show was over, didn't you? Didn't you? Our neighbor, Representative Marie Newman, wants to pass the so-called Equality Act to destroy women's rights and religious freedoms. Thought we put up ours so she can look at it every time she opens her door. Green captioned the tweet with winking American flag emojis. Newman told CNN Thursday the back and forth with Green was never meant to be a fight, and she is unconcerned with Green's reaction to her flag. Are we going to see a cat fight on the house floor? Are we going to see somebody with the swivel chair turning around and never, ever, ever facing another person? We're going to see this kind of pettiness that we used to see at the founding, maybe. I don't know. It was a statement I felt very necessary. I thought she needed to hear from us, the Democratic Congresswoman told CNN's Allison Camerota on New Day. And what I mean by that is that I simply wanted to make a statement so that she sees LGBTQ plus people. And so the symbolism was simply to put the flag out there. So she has to see our community every day. You know, I'm immensely proud of my daughter. And that's all anyone is asking for is to be treated as anyone else. And that's what I want Representative Green to see. So, yeah, there's that fight going on. And like I said, I don't really care how you pee. I don't. I don't care how you dress. I don't care how you pee. I don't care how you identify. But none of this needs to be at the federal level. All right, let's keep going, you guys. From the Associated Press, Mr. Potato Head drops the mister. Sort of. From Joseph Pisani. Is it Mr. Potato Head or not? Hasbro created the confusion when it announced that it would drop the Mr. from the brand's name in order to be more inclusive and so all could feel welcome in the Potato Head world. It also said it would sell a new playset this fall without the Mr. and Mrs. designations that will let kids create their own type of potato families, including two moms or two dads. Uh. But in a tweet later that afternoon, Hasbro clarified that while the brand is changing, the actual Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head characters will still live on and be sold in stores. In a picture posted on Twitter, the Mr. and Mrs. names are less prominently displayed at the bottom of the box instead of the top. Well, it was announced today that the Potato Head brand name and logo are dropping the Mr., I am proud to confirm that Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head aren't going anywhere and will remain Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, the company tweeted. The tweet came after the news of the brand name ex uh, change exploded on Twitter with people asking if Barbie will keep her, uh, change her name next. I think Hasbro needs to drop the bro and just be Has, another person tweeted. Hasbro want, appears to want to have it both ways, expand the brand while not killing off its most iconic characters, which appeared in the Toy Story films. They're looking to broaden the franchise, said Robert Pasikoff, founder of the marketing consultancy Brand Keys. You take the focus of what is essentially one of uh, 
character and now allow it to be a platform for many characters. Kimberly Bory, a senior vice president at Hasbro, said the intention of the brand name change was to be more inclusive and to have the characters still live within the Potato Head universe. It created a lot of excitement, she said about the reaction. Glad, an LGBTQ advocacy group, applauded the more inclusive potato playset. So, there you go. And like I said, it looks like they are trying to have this both ways. They're trying to be both Mr. Potato Head and still not Mr. Potato Head. So, I don't know why you care so much. It's a toy, but that's what we're going to do. All right. Peter Ducey and Jen Psaki went at it once again. Fox's Peter Ducey grills Jen Psaki on sexual harassment allegations raised by Lindsey Boylan against New York Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo, noting Biden is meeting later today with the National Governors Association, which is chaired by Cuomo. Psaki says he deserves to be heard. Let's have a listen. Thank you, Jen. Uh, the head of the group the president is going to meet with today, the National Governors Association, Andrew Cuomo, is being accused of sexual harassment by a former staffer named Lindsay Boylan. She says that Cuomo, while he was governor, gave her an unwanted kiss on the lips. He asked her to play strip poker. Is the White House worried about this becoming a distraction from an important meeting about COVID response? Well, let me first say uh, that the president has been consistent in his position. When a person comes forward, they deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Their voice should be heard, not silenced, and any allegations should be reviewed. Governor Cuomo is also the governor of uh, one of the largest states in the country that has been one of the hardest hit, with millions of people still suffering from an ongoing pandemic and an economic crisis. And our focus is to continue working with governors from across the country, from a range of states, on how we're helping people in their states. He also is still head of the National Governors Association, hence he's at the event today. And to him being in charge of the governors and in charge of such a big state, will the president uh, talk to him about these accusations from Democrats in the New York legislature that... Cuomo misled the public about deaths in nursing homes throughout the pandemic. Well, this is a meeting and a conversation with a range of governors about how we can all work together to address the pandemic and get relief to the American people, and that's what I expect the focus of the meeting to be on. There are some Democrats in New York who want a uh, who want congressional hearings about these deaths in nursing homes. There was a, a Cuomo aide who told lawmakers in February that the Cuomo administration withheld the number of residents who died in hospitals uh, from the public due to the fear that it would be used against them by federal prosecutors. Is this something the White House thinks would be appropriate for a congressional hearing? It's, it's really up to Congress to determine uh, how they want to review or have hearings uh, on those reports. All right, looks like there's another clip here of the two of them. And I know you were asked about this this weekend, but I'll try again. Uh, does President Biden still think Andrew Cuomo is the gold standard for COVID leadership and that he's doing a hell of a job, which he has said about him? Well, first of all, I think to be fair, let's put all of the comments in context, which sometimes is a missing from the.
Basically, that's an I have no answer. Stop asking me questions. So, that's what we have for that. Oh, no. We can't throw Cuomo under the bus because he's one of ours, but uh, we're trying to quietly throw him under the bus anyway. All right. <clears throat> From the New York Post, Obama says, White, white resentment made reparations a non-starter during presidency. From Mark Moore. Former President Barack Obama said he supported reparations for African Americans, but decided the issue was a non-starter during his administration because of white resistance. Saying reparations were justified, Obama said that there, there, there's not much question that the, that, that the wealth of this country, that the power of this country was, was built on significant part but not exclusively, maybe, maybe not even the majority of it, but, but a large portion of it was, was built on the backs of slaves. The former two-term president said that even after slavery was abolished, the systemic oppression and discrimination of black Americans continued under Jim Crow. Despite that, Obama uh, said he came to the conclusion that a push for reparations would go nowhere. And I, I saw that during my presidency, was the politics of, of white resistance and resentment, the, the talk of welfare queens and the talk of un, the undeserving poor, and the backlash against affirmative action, Obama said in a podcast talk with rocker Bruce Springsteen called Renegades Born in the USA. Just another attempt at redistribution, but they're going to continue to try and push this until the end of time. All right. Got one here from CBS. More than 30 million needed for capital repairs and a new security after assault, officials said. And considering we're getting to the back half, and I'm seeing a few more names in here, remember if you are lurking right now, make sure that you get your name in the chat so I can give a special thank you at the end of the show for everybody who chatted in here. And I got all your names written down, so definitely come back in and chat and let me know that you're here. And if your uh, comment is sufficiently stupid, it will raise the intellectual level of this program and will thusly be read on the air. So give me something good. From CBS News. Cleaning up broken glass, doors, and graffiti and securing the U.S. Capitol after the January 6th attack will cost more than $30 million, Capitol staff told lawmakers on Wednesday. God, it must be nice to have a no-bid contract. <clears throat> Statues, murals, historic benches, and original shutters all suffered varying degrees of damaging, primarily from pepper spray accretions and residue from chemical irritants and fire extinguishers. Architect of the Capitol, J. Brett Blanton, said at a House Appropriations Committee hearing, according to his prepared testimony, this damage to our, presses, our uh, precious rather artwork and statues will require expert cleaning and conservation. House lawmakers have already approved $30 million to address the expenses described by Blanton, whose office is responsible for the operations and care of the group of buildings that will make up the Capitol complex, as well as to fund the perimeter fencing that has been constructed around the Capitol. Once again, must be fucking nice to have a no-bid contract. Blanton has said more money would likely be needed, especially if his office needs to renew contracts or, you know, grease the palms of somebody to make something happen, to continue the fencing past um, 
If he needs to renew contracts to continue the fencing past March 31st, he's also requesting a comprehensive campus-wide security assessment. His employees had just finished painting parts of the platform where Joe Biden was set to be inaugurated on the day of January 6th attacks. Blanton said when rioters began storming the Capitol, his staff sheltered some congressional employees in their workshops while other team members went to the roof of the building to reverse the airflows to clear out the chemical irritants like bear repellent and pepper spray that were released inside. Blanton, who is a member of the Capitol Police Board that oversees requests from the U.S. Capitol Police, told lawmakers that he never received a request from the former USCP Chief Stephen Sun for an emergency declaration or National Guard support. He also said that Sun did not share actionable intelligence or credible threats at a briefing hosted for law enforcement partners prior to January 6th. So, 30 million bucks to go and renew the Capitol, which, okay, yes, I understand that... There is some precious artwork that's going to need some restoration, and expert uh, restoration needed to do some of that. But, you know, bid that shit out. Bid that shit out. See if anybody else thinks that they can do it on a lesser amount. There should be like 50, 60 contractors in Washington, D.C. that get to look at the Capitol building and say, Oh, yeah, no, I, hey, I can knock 10 bucks off that. Hey, I can knock a million bucks off of that. Oh, you say thirty million? I can do it for twenty. But that's one hand washing the other from Washington D.C. All right, Rand Paul in the news. Is Rand Paul the only senator that has any balls? The question was about minors. Let's be a little more specific since you evaded the question. Do you support the government intervening to override the parent's consent to give a child puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and or amputation surgery of breasts and genitalia? You have said that you're willing to accelerate the protocols for street kids. I'm alarmed that poor kids with no parents who are homeless and distraught you would just go through this and allow that to happen to a minor. I would hope that you would have compassion for Kira Bell, who's a 23-year-old girl who was confused with her identity. At 14, she read on the Internet about something about transsexuals. She thought, well, maybe that's what I am. She ended up getting these puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones. She had her breasts amputated. But here's what ultimately she says now. And this is a very insightful from decision from someone who made a mistake but was led to believe this was a good thing by the medical community. I made a brash decision as a teenager, as a lot of teenagers do, trying to find confidence and happiness, except now the rest of my life will be negatively affected, she said, adding that the medicalized gender transitioning was a very temporary, superficial fix for a very complex identity issue. What I'm alarmed at is that you're not willing to say absolutely minors shouldn't be making decisions to amputate their breast or to amputate their genitalia. For most of our history, we believe that minors don't have full rights and the parents need to be involved. So I'm alarmed that you won't say with certainty that minors should not have the ability to make the decision to take hormones that will affect them for the rest of their life. Will you make a more firm decision on whether or not minors should be involved in these decisions? Senator, uh, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field. Uh, and if confirmed to the position of Assistant Secretary of Health, I would certainly be pleased to come to your office and talk with you and your staff about the standards of care. All right, so that was Rand Paul's reaction to all this here. And, you know, 
it's it's a good thing to bring up the the thought of minors and transgenderism, especially for the permanent surgery. Now, once again, I don't really care how you pee, but as you pointed out, some people look at this and make a rash decision and decide later that it was a mistake. So it's an argument to have. It definitely is. I don't know where the right answer is with that, to be completely honest. It's definitely an, arg an argument to talk about, but this sure did piss off a lot of members of the uh, of that community as well. So Let's see what ABC has to say. First transgender nominee deflects inflammatory questions from GOP senator from Cheyenne Haslett. I want to point something else out before I get into this and just question, see what you guys in the audience think about this. But uh, I was listening to Daily Wire podcast yesterday and it was pointed out that uh, when's the last time you knew who the assistant secretary to something was? When was the last time it mattered this deeply who the assistant secretary to any office was. I mean, half the time you don't even know who the secretary is. Who is the secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services? Nobody knows because everybody's focusing on the assistant secretary. All right. A, uh, at a historic hearing Thursday, Rachel Levine, President Joe Biden's nominee for Assistant Secretary of Health at the Department of Health and Human Services, and the first openly transgender person nominated for federal office, told lawmakers that she would fight to improve health care access for all Americans if confirmed, and deflected inflammatory questions from a GOP senator who likened transgender surgery to genital mutilation. As the HHS Assistant Secretary of Health, Levine would oversee the nation's public health system amid the pandemic. A pediatrician, she recently led Pennsylvania's pandemic response as the state's health secretary and was the state physician general before that. And also pulled her mother out of the nursing home as Pennsylvania was putting sick COVID patients back into the nursing home. But hey, we don't talk about that around here. She faced questions before the Senate Health Committee for about two and a half hours alongside Surgeon General nominee Vivek Murthy. Just over an hour in, Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky began questioning Levine about genital mutilation of children, which he compared to a person's decision to transition. American cultures. American culture is now normalizing the idea that minors can be given hormones about their biological development and their secondary sexual characteristics, Paul said. He repeatedly asked Levine if she believed minors should be able to make decisions to amputate their breasts or amputate their genitalia, and if she supports the government intervening to override the parents' consent to give a child puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and or amputation surgery of breasts and genitalia. <clears throat> Levine responded politely that she would like to work with his office to talk about the complexities of transgender medicine. She deflected his misrepresentation of transgender surgery as genital, uh, genital mutilation, which is defined by the World Health Organization as torturous and inhuman treatment most commonly done in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, often aimed at controlling women's sexuality, enforcing premarital virginity, and attempting to keep women modest. Once again, <clears throat> I know that they're looking to try and make this a big federal thing. This really shouldn't be a big federal thing either. This should be down to states and localities, but... I mean, Rand is right to bring up the question. I don't know if there's anything on the agenda right now to try and make this a federal law, but with the people going on, maybe we should have a conversation as to whether or not this should be a federal law or if it should be a, a state and local re uh, regulation. Of course, I always vote as state and local regulation. 
<clears throat> but to the people who look at this and say, well, of course, it's it's not uh, it's not mutilation or anything, I, I urge you to go to Five Guys and order a hot dog and see how they... Uh, how they serve that to you and you know that's what they're doing to the young boys when they're uh, about to go and get the surgery and you will never be able to look at a five guys hot dog again so i don't know really honestly i don't know what point this had in the confirmation hearing i don't and this is coming from somebody who likes Rand paul i don't know if this was there or like i said if there is some legislation that's coming down the pipes that's going to affect this but we will see what happens there all right, I got just a few more here, then we'll do the names of everybody who chatted in the live chat. From the Daily Wire, Biden's new energy secretary suggested Trump intentionally spread the coronavirus. From Jeffrey K. Wood, former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm was approved by the Senate as President Joe Biden's energy secretary on Thursday by a vote of 64 to 35. My sincere thanks to the Senate for your confidence in me, Granholm tweeted shortly after being confirmed. I'm obsessed with creating a good-paying, clean-energy jobs in all corners of America in service of addressing our climate crisis. I'm uh, impatient for results. Now let's get to work. Fourteen Republicans voted in favor of Granholm's nomination, joining all 48 Democrats and the two independent senators who often caucus with Democrats. Granholm has echoed President Biden's call to take the vitriol out of politics. However, she suggested Donald Trump purposefully accelerated COVID-19 transmission during the presidential campaign, claiming an October 24th tweet that he was intentionally holding super spreader events across the country, infecting thousands more Americans. And there it is. Again, real Donald Trump is intentionally holding super spreader events across the country, infecting thousands more Americans. In another tweet on October 31st, Granholm said President Trump caused the death of 700 people by holding rallies. What kind of human being knowingly intentionally spreads the virus, Granholm asked. What monster does 14 more of these rallies in states where hospitals are overloaded and the virus is spiking? She also tweeted that the level of incompetence and immorality in Donald Trump's administration is criminal. So this sounds like a pleasant person. No, no, it, it wasn't that he was intentionally holding the spreader events so that people would go out and be infected by each other. He actually had uh, an air cannon full of COVID-19 infected air. He was just spraying it out across the crowd. <clears throat> so, she sounds like a pleasant person. Let's keep going. McConnell states that he is doing nothing but looking for power in the GOP. He's doing nothing but coming out and doing what's going to give him the most power forever. McConnell says he'll absolutely support Trump in 2024 if he's the GOP nominee. After he said Trump needs to be expelled from the party, and after he voted to acquit, but still said that Trump was 100% responsible for the January 6th... Why is this guy still a senator? All right, Kentucky people, you need to start calling for this guy to resign. Because he doesn't give a fuck about you. From Paul LeBlanc. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said Thursday that he would absolutely support former President Trump. 
If he became the GOP presidential nominee in 2024, a notable commitment following his recent blistering critiques of the former president. While McConnell maintained that the 2024 presidential election cycle would be a wide-open race when pressed by Fox News' Brett Baer about supporting Trump if he captured the Republican nomination, McConnell offered the nominee of the party, absolutely. The Kentucky Republican's comments come just weeks after he delivered a pointed rebuke of the Trump on the Senate floor. For fomenting the deadly U.S. Capitol insurrection, though McConnell voted to acquit Trump anyway, he called the former president's actions that preceded the riot a disgraceful, disgraceful dereliction of duty. Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of that day, McConnell said, as he suggested the former president could be subject to criminal prosecution. In response, Trump ripped McConnell in a lengthy statement, calling him a dour, sully, unsmiling political hack. He will never do what needs to be done or what is right for this country and necessary and appropriate. I will back primary rivals who espouse making America great again and our policy of America first. We want brilliant, strong, thoughtful, and compassionate leadership, Trump said. So, and yes, that's, I mean, McConnell is just looking out for McConnell. He doesn't give a fuck about anything else. All he cares about is power and backing whoever the most powerful Republican in government is. He's like Sean Hannity, like that. All right, I got another one here. So you remember that uh, video we watched yesterday about the woman who, well, if you guys forgot, let's listen to it again. If you're white, yes, you are racist, even if you think you're woke. We all benefit from oppression. Pretending you're not racist only makes racism grow. If you're white. Well, somebody dug up another video of the same woman. Uh, apparently she is white-splaining your privilege. You can't make this up. So I just had a really shitty moment where I lost my temper. I was trying to do something and my cat wouldn't move. And I lost my temper on him and I yelled at him for no reason. And I know that sounds so dumb, but I feel awful. And he's, he's hiding from me. I know. <laughs> I know. I know how I look right now. But damn, he doesn't deserve my irritation. Nobody really does. Sometimes we just feel really shitty and we react. It's Allison Whit uh, Whitley is the name. I think you are out of your fucking mind. Crazy. Condescending. But I'm sorry that I think that. There you go. I treated you badly and I apologized. Alright. Last one we'll do here. From The Verge. Twitter announces paid super follows to let you charge for tweets. 
from Jacob Castronix. Twitter announced that a pair of big upcoming features today, the ability for users to charge their followers, for access to additional content, and the ability to create and join groups based around specific interests. There are two of the more substantial changes to Twitter in a while, but they'll also fit snugly into models that have been popular and successful on other social platforms. The payment feature, called Superfollows, will allow Twitter users to charge followers and give them access to extra content. That could be bonus tweets, access to a community group, subscription, or newsletter, or a badge indicating your support. In a mock-up screenshot, Twitter showed an example where a user charges $4.99 a month to receive a series of perks Twitter sees as a way to let creators and publishers get paid directly by their fans. Direct payment tools have become increasingly important for creators, in particular in recent years. Patreon has been hugely successful, and other platforms including Facebook, YouTube, and even GitHub have all launched direct payment features. Twitter will presumably take a cut. The company has been hinting at subscription features that would offer it a new source of revenue, although it doesn't appear to have said yet, uh, said yet what that fee will be. So, all I have to say about this is, everything I tweet will continue to be free, and all my content will continue to be free as well. If you guys want to throw me a couple bucks, there's a subscribe star down below, there's the PayPal, but it's never going to be expected. I'm never going to hide anything that I have to say behind a paywall. No matter how famous, popular, whatever I get, I'm never going to hide anything behind a paywall. You guys give what you think is right, and what you think you get out of this program. There's no reason for me to go back and charge for all this. You guys are coming here voluntarily and giving me support and telling your friends to come out and support as well. That's all I, I need to ask from you. It's worth more to me that you tell a friend or tell ten friends that, that you throw me five bucks or ten bucks or whatever to get some extra content that I have hidden behind a paywall somewhere. So that is going to be it for the day. And the last thing that we do on a... Friday is to read the names of everybody who chatted in the live chat. However, I gotta put you guys on hold for just a second, so I'm gonna let you listen to this crazy bitch for just a second, and I will be. Really shitty moment where I lost my temper. I was trying to do something and my cat wouldn't move, and I lost my temper on him and I yelled at him for no reason. And I know that sounds so dumb, but I feel awful. And he's, he's hiding from me. I know. <laughs> I know. I know how I look right now. But damn, he doesn't deserve my irritation. Nobody really does. Sometimes we just feel really shitty and we react. <sighs> the shitty thing with him being a cat. Oh, he doesn't, I don't know if he understands me when I say I'm sorry. But humans do, so make sure you apologize to people when you treat them badly. Do. Alright, sorry about that. I know my nose was getting a little bit stuffed up here. I'm still trying to rattle the last lingering bits of this cold here, and it's just hanging out right in the nose here. But now we've got to take some time and thank everybody who chatted in the live chat. So we'll get this up here for you guys so you can see what's going on. And before we get into today's chat, we will look at uh, the chat from the week. So on Monday, we had Sully Blue was in here, which I haven't seen Sully for a while. I don't know what happened to him, but I don't see him in here today. Um, we had Chilaga 1984. 
Uh, Nana Kills, that's a new name in here, but thanks for following. Quest Fanning was here. ZJ was here. McConnell Smuggles Coke came in. And Ron Helton carried us out over on the Trovo side. On Tuesday, we had Chilaga 1984. Quest Fanning was here. Sully Blue popped up. Dan the Evil Killer popped in over on Twitch. That was a new name. So thanks for hanging out. Flan Corp, our resident progressive, hung out with us for a little bit. And Ron Helton was here to round out uh, over on Twi uh, Trovo, not Twitch. On Wednesday, we had Nephilim Ninja, Nibiru, Mad Cow Mark, our resident from the other side of the world. Silent Caster came and hang uh, hung out with us. We had James Redacted, Ron Helton, ZJ12, and Chilaga1984. On Thursday, we had Sully Blue, Tori on Twitch, Ron Helton, Mad Cow Mark was in here once again, Chilaga1984. Weston, 2K2121. I've seen him in here before, but uh, I haven't seen him for a while again, so thanks for coming, uh, hanging out. RH and Nephilim Ninja of Nibiru. And once again, if you want to get a last-minute comment in now, and if it is sufficiently stupid, it'll get read on the air because it will raise the intellectual level of this program. Starting from the top, Spartan. Zero, 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 superior one says UBI, not bombs. Mad Cow Mark is in here with a good morning greeting. Quest Fanning is here. Chilaga 1984 is here. And Chilaga 1984 is gone. I guess I'll have to pick that one back up on the replay. $50 an hour. Why not? I mean, if we're going to just devalue the currency anyway. Fifteen for the ladies. Yeah. Nephilim Ninja says the bird rule just requires me to flick it at them. That's the bird rule right there. Just incentivizes firing the dumbest workers. Well, after having such a good economy, I think some companies can afford to get rid of some of their workers right now. Uh, if someone thinks this legislation will change what services are worth to an employer, they need a reality check. Yeah, that was one of the tweets that I uh, called out. More unemployment on the dole. Spartan says we should do our reverse split on the dollar first. Make one dollar worth into the new one cent. Replace all currency with a new design. Make minimum wage 15 cents after. Quest says Sewell will eventually become captain. Captain of the Excelsior in Star Trek 6. Spartan says GOP, but GOP like piss. And DN cum. I think the DNC one was reaching just a little bit here. Neff says he was a great Sulu. Or that was a great Sulu. He eventually became commander. But during the show, I believe he was helmsman. Yeah, I just don't... I don't know what rank he carried. Was it Ensign Sulu? Quest says, don't worry. This time next year, no small businesses will be open. Don't have to worry about discrimination from a non-existent business. Well, that's very true. His town is called Q. It's a continuum. Small but very influential town. Shandelis Doster. Sounds like a made-up name for Gus on Psych. I guess I'm not familiar with that. MO Bathrooms Now with Extra Large Toilets. There are three genders, male, female, and morbidly obese. 
Mr. Potato Head is obese, it all makes sense. Quest Fanning says, I prefer to have privacy from everyone when I'm in the bathroom. No great need to have dudes checking out my junk either. I enjoy that. I very much do. What a lot of rotten potatoes. Single per person bathrooms are the best idea. Yeah. Nephilim says, I hear they're supporting POC potatoes with Mr. Hashbrown. Nice. Oof. Uh, we got to throw some apps in the chat up for Madcom Mark, who says he had penile cancer and they removed so much that I haven't seen the old fella for years. Well, throw the apps up, guys. Pisaki has those cold, dead shark eyes. I am going to play the Pisaki video on the Monday show. I need to make a note for that for myself. Because Elaine needs to be subjected to that. It's hilarious. Quest says, I never got how when so few white folks owned slaves, how was slavery good for poor white folks? Having the labor compete against literal chattel slaves. Yeah. And that's part of the reason we have a, um, a minimum wage now is so that newly free, uh, freed slaves could undercut the labor market and take the jobs away from those poor white people. Play more after she dribbled shit. He asked her again how she, uh, could she answer the question. Yeah, no, that was the only clip that I had, unfortunately. Inflammatory question. Rand was careful to frame his concerns as related to the well-being of the child, not about the candidate. How many folks had gender dysmorphia before all this media coverage made it popular? It seems like a big distraction, maybe a fundraising ploy, too. Yep. I believe other... Uh, the overprescription of the pill to teens is correlating with rise in breast cancer in midlife. Yeah, that's probably true as well. He was being a real pussy anyway. I would hide well. You're an imbecile. Yep. Hashtag 19A. Only Twitter, only titter. Lieutenant Sulu, okay. Yes, I did, uh, I did subject you to that shrieking cat woman to blow your nose because I didn't want dead space and dead air in the, uh, in the audio playback because I'm doing that again. Mad Cow Mark, what's with the Fs? The Fs are for your wee-wee, bud. Because you got the cancer and you haven't seen it for a while. Those Fs are for you. Fs to pay your respects. Press F to pay respects. All right, and that's all that I have today. So I'm a little bit behind on the audio platform right now because I've worked late, but I, uh, I'm mandated that I have to get out early tonight because I'm not going to be allowed to have overtime, so I'm going to get caught up on the audio platform tonight. Remember, there is a call-in show this weekend at 5.30 Central Time on all the main platforms, and I will open the uh, phone number up as well, so if you want to give a call on the landline or a terrestrial phone, we have that uh, functionality as well. Excuse me. 
So, looking forward to seeing you guys there, listening to see what you guys have to say about the state of the world and what's going on with it. So, hope to see you. Otherwise, we'll also have Discord calls open. So, if you're coming in from internationally and you don't want to pay the international rates for the phone call, we can do that as well. We definitely do have options to come out and take your calls, but looking forward to having that. I'll have a glass of scotch while I'm sitting here talking to you guys, so it won't be completely out of the ordinary, but definitely looking forward to hearing from you guys. Otherwise, we'll be back here on Monday for more Contemporary, or Monday night for the Red Net Show, where we'll be discussing things like the minimum wage, and this crazy cat lady, and what else? Um, what else? We've got the bombings. We've got so much else to get through today. It's been a crazy week. We'll talk about Cuomo. We'll talk about all that. Looking forward to that as well. So either way you decide to join the program, looking forward to it. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.